are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. And we're going to discover what I believe is the sin that never can be forgiven. And so let's look at it in chapter 12 of Matthew, and we'll begin in verse 22. Verse 22, there's a demon possessed, oppressed, whichever one you want to flip on. It is a man who's controlled by a demon. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute. Notice he could hear, he was blind and he could not speak. When someone's certain faculties are taken away, the other faculties sharpen all the more. This man could hear quite well. And this man was brought to him, and he healed him. Scripture rarely tells us who brought these people, but somebody had to bring them. I love that, don't you? The nameless people that brought the cripples and the blind to Jesus. They're not named, but someone brought him. Notice also the ease that he also always healed these people. There was no process normally. There was no difficulty. It was almost in the presence of Jesus, disease and illness had to go. The ease that he did in just healing this man. And he healed him so that the man spoke and he saw. And all the people were amazed. Look at the word amazed. It's the Greek word to be out of mind. The modern vernacular would be to blow their minds. They were out of their minds with amazement at this this healing of this man who before could not see and could not speak. And this was their response in verse 23. Can this be the son of David? They weren't sure. They were just asking the questions. Verse 24, not everyone was happy. Uh, Larry and I were up on my roof yesterday. Oh, it was two days ago, Friday. And uh, Larry was spraying some chlorine uh, to pressure wash, and I came around the bend of the roof, and red hornets were all over the roof. And he was stepping on them, and he said, help me step on these red hornets. And they were doused with chlorine, so they weren't real active, but they were struggling about. And as we stepped on, these are red hornets. And Jesus, as he's preaching and teaching and healing, these these Pharisees are nothing but a nest that has been stirred up in the crevices. Look at these red hornets. But when the Pharisees heard it, notice they weren't there, they just heard it. They said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this, notice they didn't say his name. The hatred had grown to such a point that they wouldn't say his, this man. You hear the disdain drip from their lips, that this man casts out demons. Beelzebub. Another name for him is Lord of the Flies. Behind me there is a picture of Beelzebub. It is the flying demon, or their next slide should be coming up. 
there he is. There's a lot of drawings and pictures of this demon. That is one artist's capture of it. The flying demon. Attractive fella, isn't he? Lord of the flies. This is who they likened the Son of God to. You can take that picture off. I'll never recapture their, their attention until you do. Notice verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, don't miss the flow of the passage. They weren't there. They heard it. In jealousy or, or whatever reason, they attribute this casting out of the demons to Beelzebub. That's how he's doing it. He said to them, they, they talked about him. He didn't talk about them. He went to them and said it directly to them. Notice always his approach. When people talk about you, if you want to address it, don't talk about them. Go directly to them. That's what he did. So knowing, knowing their thoughts, he chooses to address this criticism. Verse 25. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. Abraham Lincoln famously used this passage during the Civil War to fight against the idea that we can go to war. We must go to war in order to unify the nation. We cannot stand divided. Jesus is using, first of all, logic. The first place he goes is to their logical argument that what you're saying doesn't make sense at all logically. He goes on in the argument, and if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? So first of all, your argument logically does not hold water. Second thing he addresses in verse 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? There were Israelites, Jewish exorcists during this time. And they were commended. They were, the Pharisees were fine with them. They weren't criticizing them. And yet they took the same standards of non-criticism to the Jewish exorcists and criticized Jesus for the same thing. That goes on today. One standard's okay for one group. That same standard is, is used against another person or group. Happens all the time. Jesus said, you're being inconsistent in your judgment of me because you're not judging the Jewish exorcists that are over there doing it. That's argument number two. Notice argument number three is in verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, if that's what's going on here, notice he's building his case, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Point number three, if the spirit of God is doing this, then you are fighting against, you are resisting God. That your fight is against God, that you are in willful rebellion against the God that you say you serve. <laughs> when you battle someone in argument, don't battle Jesus Christ. You'll lose. He's not done yet. 
Notice what he says in the next verse. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? I've noticed several times in visits to Ed Cobb's house, Ed and Cheryl aren't in here so I can be honest with you, there are things in Ed Cobb's house that I would like in my house. I'm just telling you, he's got several items that I would like to take. But the problem is Cheryl has quit her job on a regular... I was going to steal them, but then she quit her job, and now she works at home. They're always there. So in order for me to steal out of Ed Cobb's house, I'm going to have to tie up either Ed or Cheryl. I'm going to have to go on in there. So I have a plan. Monday morning, Cheryl is going to watch Addie so I can run an errand, so when I come back to get, don't tell her now, when I come back to get the baby, I'm going to set Addie down and I'm going to tie Cheryl up and steal. This. I can't, because I think Cheryl's easier to tie, maybe I'm wrong. Ed might be easier to tie up than Cheryl. Yeah, I better pick Ed. But whichever, I have to tie one of them up to steal from him. Jesus is saying, I'm going into Satan's territory and I am setting a man free from Satan's grip and I can't do that unless I first tie him up. He is a tied up demon and then I can go. He has to first be, when did Jesus tie Satan up? He has not gone to the cross yet. Let me suggest to you that he tied him up in the temptation. When Jesus as a man went out into the 40 days, and was tempted by the devil and came out victorious. At that point, he had binded the devil. By the way, we don't have to do that. You hear Christians say that. By their prayers, I'm going to, have to, I'm going to bind the devil. The devil was bound up when Jesus came out of the great temptation. Not only is Jesus bound up by the, the victory of the Son of Man over the temptation to sin, as a bound demon... He at the cross had his head crushed. Don't you love that? It's like tying a nasty armadillo up with a rope. And then you got him and you're dragging him all over the yard. And then you finally pull your shotgun out. And as a bound up armadillo, you just, you just shoot him in the head. That's what happened to Satan. For three and a half years, he was drug around Palestine all bound up. And then at the cross, Jesus took his big shotgun out and just blasted him in the head. That's our enemy right there. But at this time, he was bound up. The fourth argument was this, that you are blind to the binding of Satan, but there's something, there's a fifth argument. Notice verse 29 and going on. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. As the old southern country gentleman says, if you're not for me, you're against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus' argument is fivefold. Number one, your argument is stupid. It's a foolish argument. Number two, your, your attack is inconsistent. Number three, you're in willful rebellion against the work of God. Number four, you are blind against Satan being bound in this matter. And number five, you are actually complicit 
with Satan, you are actually complicit with Beelzebub in attacking me. G. Campbell Morgan suggests it would be an interesting study to, to chart out the questions, the critical questions that Jesus was asked and then see how many follow-up questions he got after he answered them. I think very few. Because after his initial answer, most men walked away. There was nothing else to say. So let's go on and let's look at the sin that will never be forgiven. And let's see what it is. Therefore I tell you, Oh, but let's look at verse 30. That's important. Whosoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather, pull in. The word gather is, is, is a word, it's a fishing term to cast a net and, and, and pull in a bunch of fish. It's interesting that the word scatter is also a fishing term to have a rip in the net or to tear or cut the net. It's the idea of pulling all the fish in and a big tear or rip happens and all the fish scatter. That's the idea, the picture. Jesus, most of the time, taught and preached in pictures and that's what he gives them. He that gathers was with me, he who scatters is against me. Look at the next verse, verse 31. Therefore, Based on your assumption that the work of the work of God and the Holy Spirit healing and doing this work, you're addressing the, the work, my work done by the Spirit of God. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. So what is this blasphemy, this speaking against? That's what blasphemy is. It is speaking against. It is holding the hand up. It is, it is, it is countering it. it goes, he goes on to say, whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, against Jesus himself, that can be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is not a sentence against the scribes and Pharisees at this time. This is a warning that they are on a path that's going to lead them to this final judgment. Well, what is this sin, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? We need help from another gospel. So let's turn to John. Jordan, put that verse up in the gospel of John. Turn your Bibles to John 16. This is Jesus' great teaching on the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. You see, because at this time, the Holy Spirit had not come to us or come to this earth. Jesus, by the Spirit, was doing these miracles, but the Holy Spirit had not come. Jesus had not died and gone away, and the Spirit had not come to this world. Yes, the Spirit was doing the work through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit had not come. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 8, and when he comes, 
He's going to do three things. And those three things are toward three different specific groups. Notice group one. He will convict. The word convict means to convince someone. It means to convince. It means to pull someone over to your side of an argument. When he comes, he will convince or convict the world concerning sin. So the first avenue is the lost person. He will convince the world that they have sinned against God. The second group is to the Christian concerning righteousness. That's what we need to be convicted and convinced of, that we are righteous. Mark that down, if you will. The first group to be convicted is the lost person, that they're sinful and sinners and need to be in the family of God. Once we're in the family of God, the convicting Holy Spirit's job for you is not to convince you of sin because sin is gone for you now. Yes, we do sin, but sin as an issue has been put away for us. What we need to be convinced of is that we're righteous completely. That's the path for us. That's what we, because we think we're still in that old flesh, and that old, we need to be convinced and convicted that we are perfect tens. That's the way we grow. The third group is Satan himself. The Holy Spirit convinced and convicted that he is a, that judgment is coming. And notice the next verse, and it isn't up there, but I'll read it for you. The next verse, uh, because, uh, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to my, notice concerning sin, because they don't believe on me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to my Father. All our righteousness is because Jesus goes to the Father and is advocating for us in heaven. He's our righteousness, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, Satan. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So what is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Listen carefully. I'll relieve you forever of the fear that you have of this verse and of this teaching. This is nothing more or less than this. It is lost man's refusal of the Holy Spirit's testimony of the gospel. It is the lost man saying no to the Spirit when the Spirit comes and says this And some of you might be in danger of this sin today if you're lost. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, you're walking down a path of committing this sin that will never be forgiven, and and that sin is rejection of the Spirit's testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is rejecting Jesus Christ, and the first stop of that is the Spirit saying, Jesus is, is the way, Jesus is the light, Jesus is your substitute. And you're saying no to it. If you're saved, you cannot commit this sin because you've already bowed your heart to it. You're safe within his arms. If you're worried about committing this sin, it's proof that you can never commit this sin because those who aren't worried about it are the ones who are in danger of it because they're not saved. That is the sin that will never be forgiven is the sin of reach, and it cannot be it cannot be committed in this lifetime. I heard years ago about a teaching that 
At the time, I embraced, but I question now whether there's any verses to back it up. And it's this, that a man can, can reject the gospel so many times in his life that the Spirit of God stops dealing with him. You ever heard that? Where's the biblical basis for that? I'm not sure there is one. I'm not sure it's not true, but I don't know if there's a verse that teaches that. I think as long as a man has breath in his lungs, the Spirit of God can break down a cold heart and he can get saved. But once that man dies in his sin, it is too late. It's over. So much for the universalist. So much for those who say that a man will spend so much time in hell and then finally get redeemed out of hell. This sin will never be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. Never. And that's a popular teaching in this age of universalism that all will be redeemed someday. No, 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 no. Hell is forever. And this is the sin that can never be forgiven, the unpardonable sin, the sin of rejecting the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit convicting mankind of sin. It is simply a rejection of the gospel. Nothing spooky about this, nothing, nothing un understandable, which isn't even a word, ununderstandable about this. This is simple rejection of Jesus Christ because it's the spirit that brings it in. Got it? Understand that? Simple stuff, but it's scary stuff. It's terrifying warning. Aren't you glad you're saved today? Aren't you glad you're, you're under his care? Aren't you, glad, aren't you glad you're in the second group? I ask you today, if you're in the second group, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you of righteousness, to convince you that you're perfect 10, and you're walking in the peace of that and the joy of that and the pleasure of that? Because there's a lot of Christians who aren't free and need to be. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin of rejecting the Spirit of God and saying no to Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous place to be in. Jesus didn't mix words about it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we pause. We thank you for the clarity of Scripture. We thank you for the warning, the warning that you give, the clear warning concerning this awful, this sin that will never, ever be forgiven. We thank you that you shed your blood so that all may come, that whosoever will may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We thank you that salvation is free and it's full and that you died for all men. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. But, Father, that, that forgiveness has a time exploration on it. It's our lives. And, Lord, if, if we have come to the end of our life and we've never called on you to save us, then it's too late. It's too late. There are no second chances after the last breath is given. And Lord, you know I've done funerals for folks who didn't know you, and that's a hard thing. Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they'd call on the name of the Lord to save them before it's eternally too late, and truly it is eternally too late. I pray for the rest of us that we would be busy about sharing the love and compassion and gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that our time is limited to share that gospel and that we would revel in, in joy and, and the conviction of the righteousness that you've given us. 
and that we would, that we would rejoice, Father, in the, the full victory over our enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Church at Suncoast. We pray that the message was a blessing to you. If we can be of any help, don't hesitate to contact the church on our Facebook page or at suncoastjacks.org. If you are in the listening area, we'd love to have you attend any of our services. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.